Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. We heard in the epistle, first, all, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, the earliest recorded uh, description of the institution of the Holy Eucharist. Paul says to them, I delivered to you that which I received from the Lord. He's using technical language in the Greek. The word is paradidomi, I delivered to you. Uh, would be best translated, I traditioned to you that which was traditioned to me. There are technical words for talking about that which has been uh, handed down by tradition. Uh, and he said, this is from the Lord. That is, this is the most primitive part of the tradition. So we have this. St. Paul's letter to the first letter to the Corinthians is probably written somewhere between 50 and 52 AD. So it's about 20 years, less than 20 years after the events he's describing. Um, Paul says uh, elsewhere that he had gone to Jerusalem uh, himself after his conversion and met Peter, uh, met James and the Twelve. And he obviously uh, received instructions from them and received a confirmation of the primitive gospel that he had been taught, that is, this tradition. And when he gives us what he knows, what has been handed down to him about the Holy Eucharist, uh, he begins it this way. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. The words we're very, very familiar with. But it's so easy just to hear this sort of running past in the night in which he was betrayed. St. Paul knows the story of Judas. He doesn't mention him by name, but when the story of the Eucharist is given of its institution, it is framed under the heading that this was done on the same night in which he was betrayed. Um, and this is uh, actually a key uh, element in understanding uh, what took place in the events that commemorated in the Holy Week. Betrayal is an interesting thing. Um, it's not something your enemies do to you. Your enemies can hurt you. Your enemies can kill you. Your enemies can torture you. But your enemies can't betray you. Only a friend can betray you. That's something that happens uh, from a friend. Um, this is one of us. This is someone who at table with Christ that night received from the very hands of Jesus his body and his blood. It's quite clear in the reading of the gospel. Judas is present and receives the Holy Eucharist. He participates in all of this with us. Um, and Christ knew all along who it was that would betray him. But only, only a friend can betray him. It comes with it because of that, um, because it's not the thing you expect of a friend. It's not the kind of thing friends are supposed to do. It always brings with it uh, a bucket load of shame. You know, uh, being betrayed probably hurts more than the thing that gets done to you when you are betrayed. The betrayal is far more painful. This was someone you loved that you ate with, that you were with all along. When it happens to us in our lives, 
I mean, and this is an interesting thing the church remembers this because betrayal, if you will, is something only Christians can do to Christians. This is not something that our enemies will do to us. This is something that only we can do to one another. Uh, it is our family that can betray us. It's our closest friends who can betray us. Uh, it is the circle of the church uh, that can betray us. That's where that power resides. Because we love one another, and because we don't expect it, we don't see it coming. Now, not every betrayal proceeds from an ill will. Sometimes, I think in my own life, uh, some of the occasions in which I think I've betrayed someone, most often in my life, betrayal came from cowardice. It's something I was afraid of uh, provoked me uh, to protect myself by betraying someone else. It's a bitter thing. I mean, it sins, though. To, I mean, I mean, not only shames the one that you did betray, leaves them broken and angry, uh, but it leaves yourself feeling very empty at all. One of the things that's so hard to excuse yourself for you can't. It just gets an awful feeling. I think it's also true that just as that in this remembrance of the primitive institution of the Lord's Supper, that it is framed uh, with the phrase uh, that in the night in which he was betrayed. Paul follows up the institution of the Lord's Supper to talk about our own betrayals. Those who eat and drink, he says, unworthily uh, of the Lord, without examining themselves, uh, you know, are guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And since we betray them, uh, and the truth is, and, and as much as we condemn Judas and all of that, we all we all, we all do Judas. We betray him. You know, every sin. We betray him with our sin. Um, and, you know, we, we do that which is contrary to this most intimate relationship he's given to us. Um, something that struck me uh, today in the um, hymns we were doing on Lord I Call, uh, which came actually from uh, the, one of the earlier services, Matin services in the week. But it talked about Judas not having seen the resurrection. He kills himself before all of that. Jesus is being crucified and Jesus, Judas is out uh, killing himself. He doesn't see the resurrection. In some ways, I, I think to myself, if he could only have waited a couple days, um, the, the bitterness of his own betrayal that drives him to suicide could have been relieved by the joy of the resurrection of Christ, which holds out, would have held out for him the possibility of his own forgiveness because it's clear that in the resurrection, everything that happens in the crucifixion has been swallowed up in victory. For Peter, we hear his story in the gospel. He denies Christ three times. In some ways, those are betrayals. And no one paid him. If you will, Peter sold out more cheaply than Judas. You know, he did for free. What Judas at least took 30 pieces of silver to get Judas to do. He, 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 you know, and he'd been forewarned. And he still did. What a bad night. What a bad night. 
I've had a rough day, you know? And, you know, it's no wonder that when he heard the story from the women on that Sunday morning that he ran to the tomb. Of course, we're told that John outran him to the tomb. We don't know what was going on with John except for the fact that he was fleet of foot. We've got more running stories about John even in his old age, which we'll save for another time. But Peter ran. The resurrection saved him. Had there been no resurrection, Peter would doubtlessly have lost himself and maybe even lost himself in the manner of Judas. You know, and uh, it is you know, for us to remember. And I, I, I cling to this. I've, I've ministered any number of times in my life to people with depression. Uh, I've done that partly out of the fact that uh, I've been through depression myself before. I was hospitalized my second year in college for a week with a clinical depression. And uh, it's just one of the worst things you can go through. But one of the things always when I'm counseling with other people in this, and I, I feel kind of duty-bound because God rescued me to work at rescuing others. Part of it is always to counsel, wait. Wait. Don't, you know, it's dark, it's black. Don't give yourself over to the blackness if you can keep from it. Wait. I mean, when you're talking to a teenager, there's nothing worse than teenage depression because they don't have enough of a backstory, you know, to kind of, uh, there's not enough narrative in their life. I mean, when you're 15 years old and the black dog is after you, you don't, you don't know it's going to get better. You just don't know. So sometimes with them it's like, you know, please, let's do 16. Let's, let's wait. You have no idea. As bad as anything feels at 15, it really does get better. You know, and I know that because I've been there over four times now. <laughs> it gets better to survive that. Peter waited. He managed. He got through a bad weekend. And he saw the resurrection. And eventually heard such reconciling words of Christ. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. God has such good things for us uh, that even our betrayals, even our denials do not and cannot undo what he is doing for us that we mark on this day. On the night in which he was betrayed. Did you betray him? He took bread and gave it to them. Did you betray him? He gave it to you. Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you for the remission of sins. Vladika Dimitri of Blessed Memory told me once, talking about confession and communion. He said, always remind people, because some people treat communion as like a reward for confession. Like, only if I go to confession can I take communion. Well, yes, sort of. It's a good preparation. But generally, he said, but remind them always, it's also for the remission of sins. That communion itself is, is not the reward for the forgiveness of sins. It is the forgiveness of sins. Did you betray him? Yes. Pay heed. This is my body, 
Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. And so he brings us all home and forgives us and lifts up even the betrayers, those who denied him, makes them his own. He came to his own and made us his own. To him we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now endeavor unto ages of ages. Amen. <laughs>